Our Father, the Scripture tells us to cast all of our care upon you because you care for us. Every man in this room has walked in uh, with care, with uh, weight. Some are carrying more than others right now. There are times when the, uh, the, the cares are not as intense and not as heavy. They're always there. But there are times when, out of your mercy and grace, our load is lightened and we're able to kind of get our breath back, and we're grateful for those times. But the Christian life is um, a life where we're always swimming upstream. We're always going against the current. And as men, you've given us the responsibility of, as Christian men, as following your example and as you cared for those that you had created and who got themselves in trouble that they couldn't get out of. Uh, Lord Jesus, you came and rescued us and saved us. Before we come to know you, we're pretty much concerned with ourselves and what's going on with us, and we're self-centered and we're foolish. But when you come into our lives and open our eyes and make us new men in Christ, suddenly our desires are different and we not only care for ourselves, but we care for those in our sphere of influence, our families, folks that we know, folks that we care about at work, and we start bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. Sometimes that's a heavy weight. Sometimes, Lord, we wonder if we can get through a day. But again, you invite us to cast all of those cares upon you. You care for us. You're aware of the cares. You're aware of every man, every man's burdens, every man's frustrations, the irritation. Sometimes it's not the big time, the big things that get us. It's the little things that just drive us nuts. You're aware of all of it. And you invite us to cast it upon you because you care for us. You've demonstrated that. You gave your life on our behalf. You saved us. You rescued us. And Lord, the fact is, as we trust in you, as we turn to you, you give us the strength that we need for every moment. You, you promised in Deuteronomy 32, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. So encourage us tonight as we open the scriptures. Some guys are carrying massive loads. Encourage their hearts. Let us know we're going to make it because you'll carry us through life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're uh, continuing this study, uh, Godly and Gutsy. First three sessions have been in Paul, looking at Paul, an example of a man who was godly and gutsy. What does it mean to be gutsy? Uh, Dictionary definition of gutsy is to be marked by courage and determination. Marked by courage and determination. That's what it means to be gutsy. The idea for this study came from the fact that uh, everything has changed in America and it's changed very, very rapidly don't need to give a laundry list of all that has changed, but one of the things that has changed, the, the foundations have changed, the, the, the underlying foundations, Psalm 11.3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The, the, um, the moral climate has changed. There used to be a, a Christian consensus. That's, that's no longer there. Uh, if, if you hold the biblical principles, it used to be, that was the norm. Not everyone was a Christian, but it, it used to be there was a Christian consensus in this country, even if someone wasn't a Christian. Well, you know that's all shifted. 
And as a result of all of these different factors and forces coming together all at once, we've kind of got a perfect storm going on, a perfect storm none of us would have wanted. And none of us would have imagined what is happening and potentially what could happen. We have an election coming up in November. I don't know if you're aware of this. A lot of concern because we realize that things could go. Well, let's say this. These changes have come very quickly depending on which way it goes. Things could change change for the worse uh, in an astonishing way. And things that we have always had and counted on could be doomed, like freedom of religion, like freedom of speech. They're already under attack. They're already on their way out, like freedom. And you're aware of this, and you think about it. Uh, basically, uh, it's been convenient to be a Christian in America for a couple hundred years. Now, if you're a Christian, in most countries, it's not convenient. You're going to pay a price to follow Christ. They don't have freedom of religion. They don't have freedom of uh, speech. They don't have freedom. That's why they all came here. But now, that's really precarious. It hasn't, can I say this? If you're going to follow Christ, and if he has changed your heart, you're following God. And he's going to work in our hearts uh, to make us more, uh, more like him, which means we become godly. Uh, really, to be godly in this country hasn't been an issue. But now, if you're going to follow Christ and desire to be like him and conform to the image of Christ, to be godly, you're going to have to be gutsy because everything has shifted. Now, that's why we're doing this study. We started with Paul. We did three weeks on Paul. Tonight, we're going to go to a, another individual in Scripture who demonstrated godliness, and he demonstrated um, guts. Uh, You say, what is his name? I don't know his name, because he didn't give us his name. But if you turn to Psalm 130, we'll meet him. Uh, Psalm 130, if if I were, here's what I would call this man, because he doesn't give us his name. But he is, uh, I would refer to him as the, well, we have the tomb of the unknown soldier. This guy is the unknown psalmist. This guy is the unknown hiker. Hiker, H-I-K-E-R. This guy is the unknown pilgrim. You say, why, why would you say that? Well, Psalm 130 is part of a section of psalms. There are 150 psalms, but... If you look at Psalm 130, there's a little inscription, even before you get to verse 1, that says, a song of ascents. Uh, If you flip to 120 of Psalms, you'll see it again. This is where, this is the first song of ascents, is Psalm 120. And you'll see the inscription in 120, a song of ascents. You'll see it in 121. The song, the, 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 the song of ascents are from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. Now, what does this mean, a song of ascents? We're going to be in Psalm 134, but I'd like you to turn with me to Exodus 34, second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. And here's what we're going to look at tonight. There are going to be, as you go to Exodus 34, we're going to look at two principles of out of Psalm 130 and out of Exodus 34. Let me go ahead and just give them to you so you'll know kind of what the outline is and the map of where we're going tonight. What we're going to study tonight is, once again, godly and gutsy. Be gutsy is to be marked by courage and determination. So tonight, we're going to look at two things. Number one, is the courage to trust God when you're vulnerable. 
Say it again. The courage to trust God when you're vulnerable. I, I, I might even add another word to it. The courage to trust God when you are completely vulnerable, without defense. The, the second principle we're going to see tonight is the courage to keep plodding. P-L-O-D-D-I-N-G. The courage to keep plodding when you're in the depths. The depths. Now, the first principle we'll see in Exodus 34. Exodus 34 is, if you look at verse 23 and 24, it simply says this. Three times a year, all your males are to appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. So three times a year, all the men of Israel were to go to Jerusalem. You say, what was that about? Well, there's more information in Scripture. You can get more information on it if you go back to Exodus 23. But let me just summarize what they were doing. Um, they were going up three times a year to Jerusalem to worship and to give thanks because there were three feasts. These are outlined in Exodus 23, verses 15, 16, uh, I'll just summarize them for you. They went up, first of all, for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And all these feasts had to do with the agricultural cycles. Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread signals the beginning of the barley harvest. That was in March and April. Uh, unleavened Bread was made from the newly harvested grain and celebrated as the first sign of the coming harvest for that year. So they would, they would take a week and head up to Jerusalem and give thanks to the Lord. Every guy in Jerusalem. Now, every male had to go. You could take your wife and kids if you wanted to, but the males had to go. Secondly, there was the Feast of Harvest. The, the second of the three harvest festivals comes seven weeks after that first festival. Uh, it's the harvest of the early grain. It's better known as the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. Uh, in the agricultural cycle, it marks the end of the wheat harvest season. So, here again, you go up for a week. Then there's a third one, and this is in the fall, this is in the autumn, the Feast of Ingathering, or the Feast of Tabernacles. The final harvest of the year occurred in the autumn prior to the onset of the rainy season and marked the beginning of a new agricultural year. So, you're there each time, roughly a week. Now, here's the deal. It takes you a while to get there. Uh, depending on where you are in Israel, I mean, if you're close, if you live, you know, if you live outside of the, in your suburbs of Jerusalem, I mean, you're there in 45 minutes. But if you're up in the north, where the tribe of Dan was, and, and you know they had an allotment, you'll read in Scripture, if you ever decided you're going to read through the Bible and you get up early and you're reading along, and there are some passages that are really exciting, and then there's other passages where you just kind of nod off because it's the allotment of the land and the tribes. Well, that's because you're not part of the tribes. But you see, if someone gives you land, uh, you, you, you've, you've got title and you've got deed and you've got, uh, uh, you've got a plat. That's in Scripture. And, and so the 12 tribes were spread out and they had X amount of land and with certain boundaries that were clearly delineated and within, and within for the tribe, let's say, of Dan. Everybody who was of the tribe of Dan had allotment and you had land and you had neighbors and it was all mapped out just like you can go down to the Hall of Records or whatever it is and you can see it all. It's all there. It's all platted. Okay. Some of these guys were far in the north. It might take them three, four, five days to get to Jerusalem. It might take them three, four, five days to get home. So you're talking anywhere, going three times a year, taking a break from what you're doing, going up there for a week at a time, three, four days on the way, three, four days. You're talking a couple of weeks, three times a year. Okay. You say so. Three times a year, all your males are to appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. Then he says, I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your borders. Now, here's what happened. If you read Joshua, when they went in, they didn't drive out all the people. They could have, but because of unbelief, because of disobedience, because of being lax, they didn't drive them all out. So they still had enemies 
which made it very interesting because because of that fact, read what it says now. Uh, three times a year, all your males are to appear before the Lord your God, the God of Israel. But look at verse 24. And no man shall covet your land when you go up three times a year to appear before the Lord your God. That's an astonishing statement. There are times in the Christian life where God, where God will put you in a position where you are completely vulnerable. Where it would be so easy for someone to take advantage of you. It can happen at work. It can happen in a marriage relationship. I have some friends who are godly people. Godly grandparents. And I, uh, let's just say this. Someone who married into the family got displeased with them, and things really went crossways. It was very sad, and uh, called child protection services on them. And nothing could be further from the truth. A joke. An absolute joke. These things happen. Oh, by the way, when that happens, you're completely vulnerable. Or are you not? You're vulnerable to false accusations. You're vulnerable to this. It can happen at work. It can happen in a marriage. It can ha there will be times in your life where you are completely defenseless and you are absolutely vulnerable. Uh, it's one of those things where our faith is tested. Now, what the Lord says to these guys, and he said it specifically to them. He doesn't say it to us. This was a promise to these Old Testament men. He says, listen, guys, I want you to trust me. I want you to come up. It's not like I want half of the guys to come up. You think about this. Every man in Israel was going to leave his home and his land. That's insane. There was no defense. They still had enemies. And these enemies aren't stupid. I mean, and, and the enemies had the same schedule. They had, they had the calendar of the Jews on their calendar. They knew three times a year, these guys are vacating. I mean, this is insane. I mean, you might as well just not have any national borders. You might as well not have, you might as well just open your borders. There's not a nation in the world who would do that. Up until recently, because that makes no sense. That's stupid. But when you lose the fear of the Lord, you lose all wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when national leaders lose the fear of God, they lose wisdom. And they lose common sense. And they just look out for what's best for them. And it's just not national leaders. It can be a family leader. Okay. What an astonishing thing for God to say to these guys, I want you guys all to come. And yeah, I know you're vulnerable. And if your wife and kids stay home, they're vulnerable. Uh, if you bring them, what's to stop anyone from coming in and just taking your livestock, moving in? You come back, it's occupied. But here's the Lord. Here's the power of God. He made a promise to these guys. And this is where the greatness of God comes in. He says, and no man shall covet your land when you go up three times a year to appear before the Lord your God. Here you see the absolute, absolute power and sovereignty of God over every human heart. In other words, he's going to take their enemies. He's going to take those who are against them. <clears throat> and he is going to restrain sin in their hearts, and he's not even going to allow the thought to come into their mind. That's amazing power. But you see, you got to believe that he's going to do what he says he will do. You got to believe that he's watching over his word to perform it, because if you really don't believe that, you're not going to trust him. And you're not, see, because what this is always about, 
these things that the Lord asks us to do, it's all about trust. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Whatever it is you're dealing with in your life, the whole issue is, will you trust me completely? Okay. So at times, he'll make us completely vulnerable. Nobody wants to be in that position, but if you haven't been there, you will be at some point. And you'll face this, can I trust God? Let's now go back to Psalm 130. Because in Psalm 130, and the different, uh, these songs of ascents, they were literally songs that they would sing as they would make their way up to Jerusalem. If you have a, if you had a relief map, you ever see those relief maps? It'll kind of show you the, the mountains. I mean, you've seen them flat. They're kind of cool because you can see the, the mountain ranges and the hills and the valleys and all that. Uh, Jerusalem, the, the high peak is up north. That'd be Mount Hermon. But more in the middle is Jerusalem, and it sits up high. So wherever you are, and to the north, it slopes down. If you go to the west towards the Mediterranean, it slopes down. If you go down south, it slopes. Down to the east to Jericho, it slopes. So no matter where you're coming from, as you're going to Jerusalem, you're ascending. You're walking. You're ascending. A song of ascent. So they would sing these different songs with different subjects and ideas. In Psalm 130, kind of an interesting song because, um, well, here's what it says. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. This This is a prayer, a song of utter desperation. Uh, it's not a, one of, you, know, you know how you have prayers you just kind of throw off now and then? I mean, they're just default prayers. You can do them in your sleep. Oh, here's one. Now I lay me down to sleep and pray the Lord my soul to keep. And you don't mean it. I mean, you just, it's, a, it's a ritual. Maybe you do it at night. Or here's another one at dinner time. Oh, Lord, bless this food, the nourishment of our bodies. Lord, come in Jesus' name, amen. Pass the potatoes. I mean, you're thankful, but you're really not. I mean, you're just worn out. You just want to eat. You know, so you just, you just, it's rote. It's just ritual. This is not that kind of prayer. This is a guy in trouble. This is a guy who's carrying burdens. This is a guy under pressure. Out of the depths, I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. I mean, he's desperate. Lord, please. Hear me. Answer me. Help me. I've got nowhere to go. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive. Lord, hear me. Focus on me. To the voice of my supplications, because I am in trouble. He's in the depths. He's in the depths. You know, so much of life is plodding. P-L-O-D-D-I-N-G. Um... That's life. I, I, I see this all the time. I, uh, I see stuff on TV and I, I see people talking about, I see young people, I see older people, and they talk about their passion. Why do you want to start this company? It's my passion. Or why are you moving to Hollywood? It's my passion. Or why are you, I, it's, I'm, it's my passion. So why are you open up this cupcake store? It's my passion. Cupcakes are my passion. Everybody's into passion. I didn't used to hear that. I mean, I don't know if you ever think about it. I never used to hear guys doing stuff out of passion. I mean, sex out of passion. Cupcakes. <laughs> but you gotta be passionate. And then there's a sense, I get that. I mean, why not do something you like to do? I get that. But it's just kind of gone crazy. Uh, Most of life is not passionate. Most of life is boring. Most of life is same-o, same-o. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, 
it says what is required of a steward. A steward would look out for a master's estate. His inter- Joseph was a steward. So he looked out for Potiphar's business and the agriculture and the employees and the staff. Okay. 1 Corinthians 4.2, what is required of a steward is that he be found successful. That's not what it says. What's required of a steward is that he be found passionate. Uh, Sometimes your passion is to stay in bed. Because you stayed up late getting it done. See, this this is one of the markers of going from being a boy to being a man. I've said it before, thing about young boys, teenage boys, they never want to go to bed. Once you get them in bed, they never want to get out of bed. But at some point, you got to learn to get out of bed. And most of the time, you're not passionate about getting out of bed. You're in a coma. And you just kind of run all over and go back to sleep. But you can't do that because, you see, you've got a stewardship and you're a man and you've got responsibilities. What's required of a steward is that he be found faithful. Faithful. You you, you know another word for faithful? is plodding. P-L-O-D-D-I-N-G. It means you keep showing up. You're at your post. You're going through your responsibilities. You're taking care of business. You're not letting it slack. You're not ignoring it. You're there. You're taking care of your stuff that God has given you to do. Um, So much of life is just plotting. That's it. It's not exciting. They don't cover it on television. It's just being faithful. Yeah. God looks for that. God loves that in his men. Just being faithful. Faithful to your wife. When she's her perfect weight and when she's 40 pounds overweight. Don't you want her to be faithful to you when you're overweight? Because your passion has been to start a cupcake business? Okay. (laughs) I'm really concerned about people being faithful to me. But I need to be faithful to people, you see. Okay. Out of the depths I have cried to you. Life is always, a, life is always just, and, and, and it's not like God doesn't bless us and do things for us that thrills our hearts, because he does. Sure he does. He's been so good to everybody in this room. But life's not always exciting. I mean, when you, you go out and play golf and you don't hit a hole in one every time. You're in the bunker, you're over here, you're in the subdivision, you're in the lake. You see, and every once in a while you hit a good shot. Oh man, that was unbelievable. Yeah. Life is pretty much being faithful and plodding and just doing the same old, same old. Because God's called you to it. Whatever you do, Colossians 3, do you work heartily, not as unto men, but as unto Christ. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. Okay. Now, here's where plotting really becomes tough. There will be seasons, there will be times in your life, and it's not all the time, but there will be times when you will find yourself in the depths. In a time of serious hardship. In a time of uh, serious Affliction. Uh, a gentleman recently introduced himself, and we were chatting just briefly, and he told me he had just finished, I believe he said, his 29th chemotherapy treatment. You never know what to look at. That's what you call being in the depths. Uh, again, it can be a thousand different situations. I remember, I can remember... Over the years in this Bible study, we have had two men with Lou Gehrig's disease. Healthy, vibrant guys, and they slowly 
slowly lost the ability to live life. Did they want that? No. No. But it's what came, and they followed Christ every day, and now they are healed because their life on this earth was over. You, you've, had a, you've had a time in the depths, probably different than the guy next to you, his time in the depths, but there are times the Lord puts us in the depths. You say, the Lord puts us in the depths? Yeah. I'll give you a verse we've talked about many times in here, Ecclesiastes 7. Consider the work of God who can straighten what he has bent. Every guy in this room has something in your life that's bent that you wish wasn't there that God would fix, he would straighten, he would send a remedy. But he hasn't yet. You're still dealing with it. Consider the work of God who can straighten what he has been. In the day of prosperity, be glad, of course. In the day of adversity, consider, because God has made the one as well as the other. In, in the Christian life, you're going to get the thrill of victory, and you're going to get the, the agony of defeat. Dun, 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 dun. Remember the music to Wild World of Sports? The thrill of victory, you know. The human drama of athletic competition, as Jim McKay would say. And, you know, you see some guy winning the, uh, the, the marathon, you know, collapsing. The thrill of victory. And then you see the agony of defeat. And you see that Yugoslavian barber who had a case of Heineken for breakfast coming down that ski slope and that sucker doesn't he didn't even know where he is and boom 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 that's the agony of defeat <laughs> and that's the Christian life and they both come from the Lord you'll get both and God uses both Out of the depths I have cried to you, O oh Lord. Um, it's hard to keep plodding and being faithful when you're in the depths. It's hard to keep going and following the Lord when you're in 29 rounds of chemo or when you're in this, or when you're in this, or a depression, or this. I don't know what it is in your life. And not everyone right now is in the depths. Not everyone, some guys here are. There are two things about the depths, and the, and the idea of the depths in scripture, uh, the idea of the depths is when you are overwhelmed. It, it's when you go deep into the sea of affliction. The depths um, are some of the worst moments of life. And we're always so grateful when God brings us up out of the depths. Any, any time in the depths, any season of affliction has a beginning, a middle, and an end. We, but we don't know where we are. God knows. And he'll take us down into the depths, and then at a certain point, he will bring us up out of the depths. He does his most important work in the depths. The most valuable work that he does in our life are not in the high points when we're hitting all our goals, when, when we're prosperous and everything's just going peachy creamy. Haven't said that in a long time. But when it's just all going really, really well. Thank God for those times. But the valuable times in our life are in the depths. But you can't, you can't always be in the depths, so he'll bring you out. And when you're in the depths, he's equipping you. He's got something in mind that he's gonna develop. He's going to chisel you. He's, going to, he's, got you in the, he's got you in the gym. He, he's, going to, he's going to work on your abs, or maybe he's going to work on your pecs, or he's going to work on your biceps, or he's going to work on your hamstrings. He's going to work on something. He's going to chisel you into the image of Christ. Some of you guys remember the USS Scorpion, the USS Thresher, uh, two nuclear subs that we had within several years of each other that, that we lost. And honestly, back then, we didn't even know where they were. We didn't have the technology. They just disappeared. 
I, I think it's the thresher that sits about 8,500 feet. They know where it is. Uh, the scorpion, about 11,000 feet. Those men are entombed in there, in the depths. That's a horrible way to die. Because when a nuclear sub loses power, loses power, suddenly you just are descending into the depths. And there's two things. The first one is, when you're in the depths, there's tremendous pressure. Pressure like you've never experienced in your whole life. Those men in that sub could actually hear that sub breaking up. That would be terrible. Because of the pressure. Second thing, 8,500 feet, 11,000 feet. The darkness is so great, you can go like this and not see your hand. There are fish in the depths that have no eyes because of evolution. I just thought I'd say that. <laughs> just for kicks. Just for the National Geographic. You know why those fish have no eyes at 11,000 feet? Because God made them without eyes. Because they don't need eyes. That's why you don't have a tail. You don't need a tail. If you were a kangaroo, you'd need a tail, but you're not a kangaroo. So God didn't give you a tail. Let's just cut through the nonsense. So in the depths, when you're in the depths, there's unbelievable pressure. I always go back to the depression I was in. Toughest time of my life in my early 30s. I remember having that pain in my chest, just jabbing pain. I went in and talked to the guy. I was running three, four miles a day. And he's talking to me, checking me out. He said, um, you under any stress? Yeah, I'm crying a couple, three hours a day. I didn't tell him that, but I was. Oh, yeah. I didn't know stress that could do that. We had an elder. I was pastor in my first church. We had a guy on the elder board, Joe Smith. Great guy in his 60s. And we'd be in a meeting, and Joe would be, I'd see him reach in him pop his nitroglycerin because he had literal pains in his chest. I didn't have physical pains. Joe did. I had emotional pains from the stress. Man, it was pressure. You felt like your kid. And some of you guys are there right now. So in the depths, there's two things. You've got pressure and you've got darkness. When you're in the depths, you're not sure even what to do next. Uh, talked to a young man recently that uh, is in a job, and, and as he said a couple of years ago, I was so thrilled to get this job. Now he's absolutely stressed to be in this job. It's not a good fit for him. He's uh, seeking counsel. He probably won't always be in it, but right now it's just, uh, it's not a fit, and it's unbelievably stressful. And, and as we were talking, he said, you know, Steve, I... I honestly, right now, I don't have, at the end of the day, I honestly don't have the energy to go check something else out. I said, then don't. When it's time to check something else out, he'll give you the grace. He'll give you the strength. Just take that from the Lord. It's okay. Uh, and you know what? The other thing is, he just maybe brings something right across your bow you never saw coming. You don't know what he's going to do, but he's got his eye on you. You're good. You, you know what he was saying? He said, Steve, I'm just trying to stay faithful. The energy, the little bit of energy I have left at the end of the day, he said, I got a wife and kids. I said, good for you. He's being faithful in the depths. Okay, good. What's required of a steward is that he be found faithful. Can we say this again? It's hard to keep plodding in the depths because you're carrying such a heavy weight. There are two reasons we get into the depths. I heard Tommy Nelson say this years ago. There are two reasons we get into the depths. Number one, we get into the depths because of what happens to us. Uh, things come our way. Cancer comes our way. Uh, you're fired from a job. Uh, you, um, your son's in rehab for the eighth time. Uh, your wife leaves you for some guy from high school she got acquainted with again on Facebook. Uh, 
These things just come our way. They're unforeseen, but they come upon us. That can put you in the depths. Because, and once again, but God oversees all of this because it's part of his, nothing is out of his control as a Christian. It's all part of his plan. Nothing can hit you that the enemy has not gotten the approval for from the Father. Remember Job, when he lost everything, within 45 minutes got four FedEx letters, everything's gone, including your kids in a natural disaster. Satan had to ask for God's permission to afflict him. We should not be surprised at affliction. First, uh, first uh, Peter 4, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes among you as though some strange thing were happening to you. God never said Christians were exempt from cancer or from unemployment or from this and this. But he said this, I will never leave you or forsake you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. He's always with you. He's in front, he's behind, and he's on each flank. Uh, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal. We may get some stuff in the future to deal with we haven't had to deal with in this country. Well, I'm not sure how I deal, I'll deal with it. You'll deal with it like you would deal with anything else. His grace will be sufficient. And it also says in 1 Peter 4, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. See, there it is. You trust him. You're completely vulnerable, so what do you do? You entrust your life to him and everything in your life. That he will do what's right in your life. And he will. So the first reason we were in the depths is because of something that comes into our lives that we never saw coming. The second reason we were in the depths is because of our own sin and our own rebellion. And we had our own plan and we knew what was right. We went ahead and went against what was right. And we decided to do what we wanted to do and be stubborn. And it's because of our own sin, we, um, we hit the wall, and we find ourselves in the depths, and it's absolutely and entirely our own fault. And every guy in this room has done that in one way, shape, or form in your life. We've all done it because we're all rebels. The problem with that, the problem with being in the depths when it's your own fault and your own stupid and your own rebellion is that when you wind up in the depths, you wind up taking people you love into the depths with you. And that's what's so devastating. Even if you do it when you're young and single, you take your parents into the depths. If you're married, you take your wife and kids into the depths. I, I've had guys tell me stories, that just their, their pain is so great because of their foolishness, what they did, and the price their wives and kids have had to pay. They have unbelievable regrets, but they've come back to the Lord. And now you see... They've got to trust the Lord, not only to be faithful to them, but to be faithful to their wives and children. So, and sometimes there's been, the wife has remarried because she had biblical grounds and it looked absolutely hopeless. How does God unscramble an egg? The great thing about God is that he's the God who brings good out of bad. He's the God who brings good out of evil. Can't tell you how, can't tell you when. But this is where, if you're in that situation, you hang on to Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. In his way, in his time, and you can never anticipate it, you'll never be able to figure out. So just relax and trust him that in his way, in his time, you're bad, you're evil. He will somehow turn for good to those you have hurt, and he will turn it to your good. That's what he does. He's a savior. If you're in the depths because of your sin, look at verse 3. And I think this guy was in the depths because of his sin. Because he says this, he says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, if you should mark sin, and by the way, the Lord knows all of our sin. If you, O Lord, you should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But watch this, there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. A while back, we went over 10 different ways that Christ has forgiven, what he's done with our sin. He's erased our sin. He's forgotten our sin. He's buried our sin. He, 
Quick review, let's go to Psalm 103. You, you can never review the grace of God and his forgiveness too much. So Psalm 103. If you note verse 10 of Psalm 103. He has not dealt with us according to our sin. That's the greatest news in all the world. He should deal with us according to our sin. If God was just, he would deal with me according to my sin. But he hasn't dealt with me according to my sin because Jesus took my sin. And Jesus took your sin. And Jesus took my lying. And Jesus took my cheating. And Jesus took this and this and this. And he took it all on him. And the wrath of God, the justifiable wrath of God that should have come on me was placed on Jesus. That's unbelievable. That's incredible. Amazing grace, amazing love. He's not dealt with us according to our sins. He's not rewarded us according to our iniquities. Oh, God will never bless me because, because of what I did and how screwed up I was and the people I've hurt and the people I've damaged. And God will never bless me. Really? He's not rewarded us according to our iniquities. This is unbelievable. I, I, and the thing about the grace of God, it happens in your life, and you think, and for your first thought is, I don't deserve this. And you're exactly right. As a father has compassion on his children, the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are dust. I missed 12, which I didn't want to miss. As far as the east is from the west, and how far is that? Well, it's quite a ways. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. The amazing thing is when you repent of your sin, not, uh, there's two kinds of repentance. Repentance means to be going uh, one way and then you make a U-turn and decide to go the other way. We, we've all gone the wrong way. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. We repent. To repent is to be going the wrong way and turn and say, Jesus, come into my life. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. I, I give you my life. Thank you for forgiving my sin that you died in my place. Words to that effect, he sees your heart. Even if you can't say it right, he sees your heart. He reads hearts. That's genuine repentance. There's a counterfeit repentance. Uh, a genuine repentance, there's a godly sorrow over what you've done. If you could get it back, if you could take it back, you'd take it back. You loathe what you did. It, it's not a, but see, that's genuine repentance. Uh, Thomas Watson said, uh, Genuine repentance is the, is the uh, vomiting of the soul. I love that. You ever had the dry heaves? What a wonderful experience that is. I got the dry heaves when I was a senior in college. I got up Saturday morning to watch Vita Blue go for his 30th win. And there was, I, you know, I had some room. There was nothing in the house. I had some cream soda and some, uh, I don't know cupcakes that had, uh, I don't know, I ate something that had been in there for months. And old Vida's just getting warmed up. I mean, he's starting to hit a stride, you know, about second inning, and all of a sudden I start feeling queasy, and I go in and I throw up. And then I went in 30 minutes later and I threw up. And that was pretty much it. I had nothing left on my stomach, but I threw up every 30 minutes for the next 12 hours. That's called the dry heaves. Yeah. That's repentance. It's not fake. It's not repentance if the media catches you. Oh, I apologize, and you get your wife standing there saying the right things and reading the teleprompter. That's, that's, uh, that's counterfeit repentance. That's cheap. It's fake. You don't mean that, and you know the guy doesn't mean it. You can tell real repentance when you see it. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. When we turn to the Lord in genuine repentance, are you instantaneously forgiven? And the answer is yes. Does that mean that he will immediately then take you up out of the depths? And the answer is no. He'll forgive you, but he might keep you in the depths. Why? There are lessons to be learned in the depths that you learn nowhere else. So he may keep you there for a while. You're forgiven, but he wants now to mature you. 
Uh, the problem with being in the depths, we've talked about this many times, is that when you're in the depths, you're in that pressure, you're being crushed, you're in darkness, you're not sure what to do next, you're kind of stalled out in your life, you don't feel like you're being productive, you're just trying to, you're just trying to make it, you're just trying to, you're hanging by your fingernails. You just want out. Watch this guy in verse 5. He's forgiven, but watch this. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait. Now, the longer you wait, the longer you're in the depths, the longer you're in a difficult situation, here is the challenge. The longer you have to wait, the harder it is to keep hope. Because the longer you struggle in the depths, you keep thinking, God's never going to change this. I've been in this for a year. I've been in this for two years. This is always going to be, it's always going to be this way. See, that's the temptation. And you start losing hope because the pain is so great. Watch this. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. The question is, how do you maintain hope to keep going? How do you maintain hope to keep plotting? How do you maintain hope to keep being faithful when you're in the depths, in darkness, and under great crushing? How do you do it? Look at verse 5, the second half. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. So if you don't remember anything else, remember this. When you're in the depths, don't close your Bible. Keep it open. Keep it open and get up in the morning and say, Jesus, give me something out of your word. Give me something out of your Bible. Because this is, this is where he speaks. And you crack that Bible open. And you ask him to talk to you. And he'll talk to you. If you're asking him, he's not going to deny you. There's going to be something that's going to come off that page at you. Not every morning. Sometimes he'll give you something and you'll live off that verse for six months. And you just keep chewing on that verse. But he'll give you something. Waiting and keeping hope are, are, are so tied together, there is a Hebrew word that can be translated wait, and it can also be translated hope. The same word. Um, turn with me to Psalm 119. Because this is the challenge. If you're in the depths, how do you keep hope? How do you keep plotting? How do you keep being faithful? you got to be in the word. Let me show you with Psalm 119. Longest psalm in the Bible. Uh, it's the psalm before the first song of ascent. Look at Psalm 119, verse 43. And do, uh, Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God. It uses different synonyms to describe the Word. It can use law. It can use precepts. It can use commandments. It can use... Um, all kinds of words. You'll see it. Whatever you see in the Psalms, it can use testimonies. It's all about the Word of God. Okay? So look at uh, Psalm 119, verse 43. This Hebrew word, yakal, it can mean wait or it can mean hope. Because wait and hope are always tied together. So in 43, and do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I wait for your ordinances. That's that word. Now, if you have a New American Standard Bible, you've got a marginal reference where it says, for I wait. And if you look in the margin, it says, or it can be translated, I hope in your ordinances. I hope in your word, because it's your call. Wait and hope. You see? You see how closely tied they're Where do I get hope? By hoping in your word. By, by trusting in your word. Um, let me show you another one. Let me show you verse 74. May those who fear you see me and be glad because I wait for your word and I have a marginal reference or because I hope for your word. You see, hope and wait are tied together. Uh, let me give you another one. Verse 81. My soul languishes. My soul languishes for your salvation. I wait 
for your word, or I hope in your word. While I'm waiting, I am hoping in your word. Look at um, Psalm 119, You are my hiding place and my shield. I wait for your word, or I hope in your word. What, hey, guys, the point is, there's no hope apart from the Word of God. You may go to a Tony Robbins seminar and get hope. You may watch Oprah one afternoon and get hope. Uh, you may, let me tell you something. There is no hope apart from the Word of God. There is no hope that will not disappoint. The love of God does not disappoint. It doesn't disappoint. You might have to wait, but he will not disappoint. He will come through for you at the right time. That's the whole point. But you got to stay in the word to keep your hope while you're waiting. Look at uh, 147. And I got to tell you something. This to me is really the gist of the thing. Psalm 147. I've never seen anybody. Anybody I've seen who is mature in their faith. Has been in the depths. But something has happened to them that has caused them to make a change in their life. And what the depths and the pressure and the darkness has caused is for someone, Psalm 119, 147 to kick into their life. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait and hope in your words. I, I was thinking about this of late. How many people I know who went through incredible tribulation, incredible times of oppression, and it was so great, the only thing, and they were carrying such a weight every day, the only thing that enabled them to breathe and have any sense of life is that they started getting up early and getting their Bibles. I see my friend Jeff Scruggs back there, and Jeff and Cheryl have a marriage ministry, because they were in the depths in their marriage. And now what do they do? They're ministering to couples all over the country who are in the depths. That was one hard time when they were divorced. And I remember Cheryl telling us that when she really repented and came to the Lord, she was getting up before the dawn every morning and getting in the Word. And Jeff's the guy who's in the Word. There's no shortcuts, guys. You get so desperate, and you're going to hear so many voices, and you're going to be lied to. You know why I start with the Word of God in the morning? Because I'm going to be lied to the rest of the day. Someone asked me, did you watch the debate? No. Why would I do that? Now, if you, I mean, that's fine. I wasn't going to do it. We had friends in from Atlanta for dinner. We ate dinner. And we had a great time, and I didn't throw up. <laughs> I could have thrown up. Knowing that, you know, it was rigged on one side and all that. You know it. I know it. Okay. Why am I, I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to miss it. I'm going to be lied to all day long. But I'm never lied to when I open the Word of God. If you're in the depths, man, you've got to get this Bible open. You've got to crack this thing and get the word in your heart or you're not going to have any hope. You, but you know what? He'll give you hope that you're going to get through this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Not around, avoid. No, even though I walk through. Why? For you are with me. So maybe 20 years ago, I get a call from a pastor in Maui. Steve, we'd love to have you come. We, we're taking our guys through point, man. We'd love to have you come and get the churches on the island and have a men's conference. And if you could give us a Friday and Saturday, we'd like to invite you and Mary and pay your expenses. And we got a guy in the church that's got a condo on the beach and he's got a car and he lives somewhere else. But uh, we'd give you two weeks. If you give us two days, we'll give you two weeks free here in Maui. And I said, well, let me pray about that. Yes, I can come. <laughs> Some, some things are just so clearly God's will. I just had a sense of leading. This was God's will for me. 
And we went. We had a great time. Um, we really did. Maybe just before we left, maybe three nights before we left, we'd been around and done some neat things. We were staying in Wailea. If you've been there, you know where that is. And we went down to the south end where the roads, where they, the pavement, there's no paved roads and it's just gravel. But it was sunset and we just kept driving. And through that, if you've been there, through those lava fields, and it gets pretty rough. You know, it's pretty rough. And then we parked and there was this real rock. You had to get through some lava. And we, but there was a beach and the sun was going down and we thought, you know what, let's just, so we did. And there's nobody on this beach. It's just the two of us. We're holding hands. And we're walking in the sand. And the sun's going down. I mean, it was just unreal. And as we're walking, I see these little gleams in the sand. Little, the sun catches the, it's like little marble. Thought, what is that? And I reach down and kind of, they're buried. It was a pearl. And then there was another one. And then there was another one. We went back the next night, and we went back the third night. We had three nights on that beach. We picked up close to $4,000 worth of pearls that had swept up at high tide. Now, that's not a true story. <laughs> that's a pretty good story, but it's not true. If you read C.H. Spurgeon and his commentary on Psalm 130, his title is, Pearls Lie Deep. I did meet two pastors, and this is true. And their hobby, they were free divers. I said, what's a free diver? Now I know it means you're insane. Free divers dive down into the depths, but they're free of any equipment. They're free of masks, they're free of oxygen, they're free of flippers, they're just free diving into the depths. You see, pearl divers, historically, for thousands of years, have been free divers. Not anymore. But for thousands of years, free divers dove free down into the depths where the pressure would kill you. But it was worth, it was worth the practice. You don't learn to become a free diver in a week. It takes years and years and years of going in the depths and suffering and barely coming up and catching your breath. And then you got to decide, I'm going to come back the next day and be faithful, and I'm going to keep plodding. And then, you see, you have to choose to suffer. You have to choose endurance. You have to choose to go to the gym. You, have to, you see, there's nothing valuable in life without suffering. And these two guys had trained for years and years, and they'd go down in the depths. Let me tell you something. If you're in the depths, you've never had pressure and you've never had darkness like this, let me give you some hope. Pearls lie deep. You will not always be in the depths. But can I tell you this? When God surfaces you out of the depths and he will bring you up, he will exalt you at the right time. When he brings you up out of the depths, you'll be a better man coming out than you were going in. And when you surface, you won't surface empty-handed. You will surface with pearls. Pearls of humility. Pearls of brokenness. Pearls of uh, kindness. Pearls of being concerned with others. You get it. This is why we go into the depths. Let's pray. 
Not every man's there, Lord, but some are. Encourage them that you're in the darkness with them. Darkness and light are alike to thee. There may be guys here in utter darkness, and your eye is on them. Give them verses that sustain them. Give them verses that will give them hope in the morning, that they can live off of and have on the back burner of their minds and call to mind when they're about ready to lose hope. And give them another burst of oxygen to keep them going for the next hour. I pray in your name. Amen.